So we are in Ephesians chapter 1 today. I'm going to read right now verses 1 through 4, but we are going to highlight ourselves in verses 3 and 4 today. So I'll read and then we'll pray. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here are two verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So I'm gonna pray right now, and I'm gonna ask you all to pray with me. God listens to the prayers of his people. So pray along with me, because God really is speaking. We're gonna ask the Spirit of God uh, to do stuff in us. Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit who drives us to Jesus, who is alive and well right now and in our midst. Spirit of God, get into the deepest places of human lives this morning. Loose the hearts that are locked down. Soften the ones that are crusty. Spirit of God, turn evil to good. Overhaul our stubborn resistance and turn them into lives that are yielded to you so that we could produce good fruit. We praise you for your surprising work and we pray that you would surprise us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So my daughter Lucy turned seven on Wednesday and, and today is her first ever gymnastics meet. She practices all the time, that this is the first time she'll compete. So my parents flew into Denver uh, to watch her first competition. They've watched the boys play baseball and football and basketball before. They've watched Harmony play soccer. But today, they're going to watch Lucy this afternoon in her first meet. So yesterday morning, Haley's heading off to the gym like she does every Saturday morning, and um, she's feeling very responsible, so she's asking me, are you sure I should go? Are you sure I should go? We have a lot to do, we gotta clean the house, and we gotta get the kids out of the house because Yale has two football games. I'm like, do you think I'm totally incompetent, right? I can, I can do this, I can get the house cleaned, I can get the kids to the two football games, and then you meet us there. So she leaves, and I start cleaning the house, and I tell the kids, hey, no one's gonna look at a TV, no one's gonna play PS4, no one's gonna play in their rooms until we get the house cleaned. So the kids are like, ah, uh, okay, you know, and they start cleaning it up. So I'm in the back room and cleaning stuff up, and I walk out, and one of the children, who will remain unnamed, um, is standing in front of a television playing a game. So it's at that moment I feel, have any of you guys seen Inside Out? So at that moment, there's Inside Out is this uh, movie about emotions, and the emotion of anger is this red block guy who's always angry, and he's got a flat head, and he's like this. So immediately, I've watched Inside Out, and I identify, oh, that's the red blockhead guy with the face. So I say, hey, we were supposed to clean the room. And this particular child says to me, I did. And I'm looking at the floor, and there's stuff everywhere. So I say, right, and at this moment, if you watch anger in inside out. There's this moment when he blows the gasket, fire goes 
out of his head like this. So at this point, I feel the fire like right about here in me. And the emotions are talking. Settle down. Everything's good. Life is joy. But I feel anger growing, right? So I'm looking down. And so I say, I'm not blind. And then this particular child says, I'm not blind either. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> right? And at that moment, all the other emotions lost and anger won, right? And so I'm raising my voice, I'm yelling, you know, I'm acting like a complete idiot, okay, at that point. So later on, I have to gather all the kids together and I'm talking and I say, listen, at the end of the day, that was disrespectful. We're working on gratitude and respect. That was disrespectful, but dad's sin trumped it all, right? That was a total lack of self-control. Everybody was in the wake of, of my anger. Um, I apologize to all the kids in the midst of it. But when you walk away, a moment like that, a moment like that, the kid has their perspective. Dad's a psychopath, right? <laughs> and I have my perspective, perspective and understand my sin, but there's justification. Now, hear me in this. <laughs> it was my sin, trumped it all, okay? But we approach the Bible and there's perspectives. You don't approach the Bible. You won't hear this message today without the stories you come in with. They're the reality, the lens in which you're seeing things through. You have experiences right now that may be blocking you from experiencing all God has for you or it may prevent you from seeing the things ultimately you see. And then there's God's perspective. And when we enter into Ephesians chapter one, verse three, Paul is operating with this God-soaked vision of the world. So he starts in verse three and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most of us that are in the midst of the real world, we're thinking about business deals, we're thinking about the challenges of home, we're thinking about our own frustration or our own joy, or we're thinking about the NFL games this afternoon, wherever you are, or you're just hungry, right? I just wanna get out of here and get something to eat. All of those things can make us miss this statement. Who is this man and what's going on that he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? That word blessed is literally the, where we get the word eulogy, which doesn't mean someone's died, but it's when you're seeking to give honor to somebody, he's going, let us praise God. Let us give honor where honors due to God. Now, praise may seem like a really religious word to a lot of us. But the reality is everybody in this room knows how to praise. Some of you praise the neighborhood you live in. I, I live in a neighborhood, I love this neighborhood, and I begin to tell everybody how great it is and you should live there too. Right? There's gonna be people in this room right now that are one, wearing one of four football jerseys or maybe the outlier whose team lost, but they're like, I'm staying with them and they wanna to prove to all of you they're staying with them. You know how to praise your team, right? Whether it's the Vikings or the Patriots or the Jaguars, we know how to praise teams. We know how to praise schools we go to. Now in Arizona, the options are endless and you can't sit down with other families who have kids where you don't talk about why your school is great and somebody else is great. We know how to give honor to that which we think deserves honor and praise. But here Paul's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, focus your attention on the word Christ. Because this will begin to get at why Paul's speaking about such blessing. 
why he thinks God's so amazing. The word Christ is not a surname. Now, I know most of us don't use the term surname. It just means last name. My last name's Johnson. I'm Tyler Johnson. It's not Jesus Christ. Johnson and Christ are not equivalents. Christ is a declaration, a statement of who he is. The word is Messiah, but that doesn't mean most to you either. So it's better stated, let us praise God, the Father of the Lord Jesus, the King, period. So he's saying, Jesus is King, period. Here's what I mean by that. We know through history there have been other rulers and other kings, but God is saying all throughout the Bible that Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. He's the king, period. He's the Lord sovereign. He's the one above everything. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the king. Now, the Apostle Paul also penned these words in Colossians chapter 1 about Jesus, the man who really walked the earth, the one whose scholars, believing and unbelieving scholars, have proved this guy lived, and he made quite a splash. Paul says this about Jesus in Colossians 1 verses 16 and 17, for by him, that's Christ, all things were created. So how many things were created by Christ, does Paul say? All things, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, the things we can see and all the things we can't see. The Bible recognizes a world that's beyond the visible that is entirely real and very much influencing the world we do see. He says, but in Christ, he created the things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rule." or rulers or authorities. Those terms, this is Colossians, but those terms are all in the background and foundation of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is written in a land that's much like most of the world, but not like our world, that knows the spiritual exists. So just so you know this, if you're in here and, and, and you're real smart, the majority of the world believes this stuff. And by this, I don't even just mean Christian. I mean, they believe that the world is chocked full of things we can't see that are in the spiritual realm. Thrones, dominions, powers, if you will, rulers and authorities that exist. But Paul is saying in the book of Ephesians that God has triumphed over the powers and they are in fact so-called powers. They're not real powers and they're not real powers because Christ created them all. So the vision of the Bible is not a vision of yin and yang. It's not like, oh, will God win and will Jesus win? Jesus made it all. There were principalities, powers, thrones, and dominions that rebelled, and there was never a question if God would win. He did win, and he will ultimately win. He's the creator. He's the sovereign. He's the ruler. He's the king of all kings. All things were created through him and for him. Now, all things means all things, but let me position it and hone in on us. The Bible's clear that the pinnacle of God's creation is God created male and female, female and male, in the image of God, he created them, the pinnacle of his creation. That means whoever you are, and regardless of what you believe in this room, 
you were made by and for Jesus Christ. Whether you had acknowledged it or not. Now I would say living in alignment with the way you were ultimately made will bring about greater blessing, but that's reality. He goes on to say this in verse 17. And he, this is all the Christ, Jesus, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That means in Christ, in him, everything. We could go on and on and on, but in him, everything holds together. The seats you're sitting in, your nose sitting above your lips, your hair on the top of your head, your feet underneath your ankles, the reality of this room, the streets that we drive on are holding together in Christ. Okay. Now you may go, ah, I don't buy all of that. But you still have to answer the question, how is it all holding together? And even when we get into this stuff that seems spooky, thrones and dominions and the demonic and Satan and all that 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 represents, you may go, I don't buy any of that. This is totally crazy. But you still have to give an account for why the world is such a haunting place at so many times. You still have to come up and answer, why does so much of the world feel more like darkness than like light? And you have to deal with the fact of, why does so much of my own life feel more like darkness than it does light. I just tend to think that the Bible gives a really good account of the way the world really operates. But that's all baked into what Paul says when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, think the King. He then says this, who has blessed us in Christ, this phrase is massive, in Christ, in him, through him. It's debated because of the different ways it's used. In Christ, in him, through him, throughout the New Testament. But at least 176 times, Paul alone uses this phrase. In Christ, in him. Now go back. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Don't miss that. The blessings are in and through Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now let me say this. When you hear the term spiritual blessing in heavenly places, don't think immaterial. Okay, here's what I mean by immaterial. The Bible presenting the way the world really is, is all about the real stuff of life. It's about the emotions I have and had yesterday morning. It's about your business deal. It's about the football game. It's about the real places that we walk, the real buildings that we build, the real governments that every country has, the real family you live in, the real car that you drive. It's about stuff, okay? So when he says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, he's saying the deepest meaning behind all of life. In heavenly places, the places where life is really the way it's supposed to be. Heavenly places just means the place where God is. The one who made all of the stuff and in whom all of it holds together. In Christ, he has blessed us. That's those who believe, the saints of verse 1 in chapter 1. All of us who believe have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So let me just say this, just as a, a little note. A lot of people will say, I've been blessed. In little things and in much. James says this, that 
every good and precious gift comes down from the Father of lights. Paul then builds that out and he says, listen, none of us should boast about what we have because what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? No matter how hard you worked, you were given a mind, you were given a body, you were given a work ethic, you were given opportunities. It's all given by God. But he says now every spiritual blessing comes to us in Christ. One of my favorite stories is there used to be a leader here who had a brother that was very, very wealthy. Very wealthy. And he tells the story of one day he was driving down the road and his 11-year-old son was in the back of the car. And his 11-year-old son, like 11-year-olds do, it's totally quiet, poses a question. And this was the question, Dad, are we rich? And the dad tells the story that he was driving. And even though his son didn't continue to articulate the question, it kept saying, are we rich? Are we rich? And then it was like, are we rich? Are we rich? And he went, okay, this is a great learning opportunity. So he pulled the car over the side of the road. And he turned around and he said, son, can you state the question for me again? And the kid's like, yeah, dad, it's not that hard of a question. I'm just asking, are we rich? So his dad locked gaze with him. And he goes, son, I'm rich. You're not. <laughs> You're poor. You have stuff because I give it to you. That's this story. We're rich with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Christ is rich. He owns it all. And it's all his to give. He's rich. We're poor. But in him, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in the deepest meaning of the world. The places when we ask the bigger questions about life and we wonder if there's more there and we want to give an account to the, the affections and what we feel and what we're really after. The foundation of it all, all exists in Christ. So think about it like this. Christ is this immense treasure that when you find it's in him, don't forget this, it's in Christ. It's not that Christ has these blessings and throws them and hopes they stick to you and they stay there. It's not how it works. This is why Jesus said in John 15, Jesus makes this statement where he says, listen, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, in me, and I in you, then and only then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, okay, if, if you've been around the Bible more than others, you're not smarter, but help me here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Zip, nada. Now the reality is, is even those of us who are in this room who go, I don't really believe this and I do a whole lot of stuff and I don't do it in him, the Bible would say, oh, but you do. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. What you have, you didn't receive either. There's still a God who you were made by and for. The recognition of those who have faith have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, made rich. So let's for a minute slow down and ask this question about spiritual blessing. What does the Bible say about spiritual blessings? What are they? Now there's some really big theological terms here. But I want to slow down to help you and I realize how much this stuff 
really matters to your real life. I want it to make sense to those of you who've been Christians your whole life, but you've never totally like made it where it's like you taste and see that God's good. You know that the psalmist said that, taste and see that God's good, and you're like, I come, but I don't know if it's good. I want you to see this. I want to make these connections. And for you, those of you who are in this room that are new to the faith, I want you to see it's really good. And those of you in who are like, I don't know if I buy any of this, I want you to see, listen to me when I say this, that Jesus is everything you are looking for. Everything that you ultimately want that you didn't even know you wanted, but you show it day in and day out. So watch this, victory. I put this one first specifically because this is the theme of Ephesians, that Jesus is victorious, the triumph of God. But be honest, so much of life feels like it's loss, even when you just won, you closed a deal. Even when you just won a state championship in sports, it's gone tomorrow. You just got a new iWatch and it's old in five days, right? There's a new one coming out. So much of life feels like loss and so much of your life, your story feels like life. And so there's books and books and books written on how you win, how you can win at life, self-actualization, but it doesn't come through self. It comes through spiritual blessings in Christ. Eternal life. I want to marry this with one later on of abundant life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to the full. There are all kinds of us in this room that are dead men, dead women walking. Right? This sense of you're breathing and you're moving, but you feel like life's a death in the worst sense of the word. Like it's dark rather than light. So when Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it to the full. He didn't say that thinking a bunch of people would be like, what's full life? It was that everybody would go, life? That sounds like what I'm after, full life. Life that's worthy of the word. Life that I feel like I'm after when I'm chasing after all of these things. Life that's like capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E, life. I want life. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. It's in him, abundant life and life that goes on forever. It's now and goes forever. Forgiveness of sin, the spiritual blessing in Christ. Here's the truth. There's so much that we can look at in the world and go, that's a mess and that's easy. But the truth is you've got your own stuff that you know contributes to making this world a mess. Michael Jackson knew it. That's why he sang the song, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. I'm not saying Michael Jackson was a Christian or would have professed this, but you know this, that there are these things you go to sleep at night and you go, gosh, there's a lot of things I wish I wouldn't have done. And there's things that you go to sleep at night and you go, there's a whole bunch of things I've been intending to do for decades or for years that I haven't done. The things you wish you wouldn't have done, the things you think you should be doing and you're not doing it and you're going, I might stand before a God, I need to be forgiven. A lack of a forgiveness of sin keeps us up at night. Restless nights. For many of us, it gets to a point where we're just trying to solve it some other way. Medicate it in some other way. We need forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness comes in Christ. Deliverance from darkness. It's the bottom. Let it mean what it means to you. 
There's a whole lot that's dark. There's people in this room that are depressed, that feel like they're drowning, like they just can't get a breath. In Christ, there's deliverance from darkness. Up just above that, spiritual refreshment. There's this great passage in the book of Acts that I remember one of the first times I ever read it and it was pointed out to me. It stuck me so much because it's everything I deeply, deeply wanted. Peter says this in Acts chapter three, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing, refreshing, refreshing may come from the Lord. These words parched, dry, like my heart, my soul feels like a desert. Spiritual refreshment comes in Christ. Now when you hear the word repent, turn to God. Don't take repentance up as like, it's this huge duty, I gotta stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. That's not how change happens. It doesn't come by looking at the thing, looking at the thing, looking at the thing that you're trying to get away from. It comes from turning to God. That's what the verse says. Go to Jesus, Jesus and sin are opposite directions. You go to God through Jesus, you repent. Get it? Times of refreshing, light from God, abundant life, death to sin, resurrection life. The last one, fellowship with God. Let me just say this. Wherever you are, God has done all of this because he wants a real relationship with you. That's not just a term that we talk about in Sunday school. It's real. Fellowship with God, the God who made it all. Those are all spiritual blessings. They're not just dry, two-dimensional doctrines. They're real. Now, I talk to a lot of different people, um, and I have an opportunity to meet with a whole bunch of different people. Moms that stay at home with three to six kids. I talk to CEOs of corporations talk to people that are working in professional athletics at the highest level. And they'll all talk when they're honest and you've built trust and they'll talk about their anxiety. They'll talk about their depression. They'll talk about even when they're at the top of the top, how much fear they really have in their lives. And all of them that really want to grow in Christ, I'll tell them all to turn to this passage in Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And let me just provide for you a little bit of context. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. um, The people of God, the nation of Israel is what it's called, are being rebuked by God because they've disobeyed. Fundamentally, they've done things they shouldn't have done and haven't done things that they should should have done. Um, And God is pointing this out to them on an ongoing level and he's saying it to them. And there, hear me on this. Not because God's pointing it out, but because of the circumstances they're in. People are treating them ways that they shouldn't be treated. And they're encountering, hear this, the consequences of their sin. And they're despondent. They're anxious. They're depressed. They're scared. God begins to end this book and he says this. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So I'll sit and I'll be on the phone or in person 
with everything from a mom that stays home, a person that's being managed at work, that just works in a cubicle, to a corporate executive, to somebody working in professional athletics, and I'll say, get that verse, write it down, and then sit with it. The word the Bible uses is meditate, which the word meditate means, the psalmist talks about how day and night he meditates on the word of God, and it's this word rumination, it sounds kind of gross, but when a cow eats, um, grass or whatever, it'll go down and then the cow will literally like regurgitate and then chew on the cud, like chew it over. So it's the same thing in digestion. You chew to get the source in your bloodstream. Meditation on the Bible is to get it in your bones. Paul says this faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God and to really hear it, we chew it. So I'll say, get this passage out and then begin to chew on this. So I'll say, start like this. Be quiet in a quiet place and say, the Lord, your God, is in your midst. Because there's tons of times in life where it feels like God's not there. Like God's utterly abandoned you. That if there's a God, he's distant. That's never true. God's never left. He's always in the midst of us. He's always right here. It's his promise. I'll never leave you and never forsake you. If he's holding the universe together by the word of his power, if in him all things consist, God is imminent, meaning he's right here, closer than the nose on your face. So I'll say, God is in your midst. Then I'll say, you may want to say something like, God, you're really here. And then make a statement to yourself, God, you're here. Then just be quiet and recognize the presence of the God of the universe is right with you. Then who is this God? A mighty one who will save. Right, we sing this song, two things you've told me, that you're strong and that you love me. If I'm in a dilemma and I'm in a circumstance and I'm confused and I'm seeking salvation, I want a mighty one, not a weak one. God's in your midst and he's mighty and he might save. What does it say? He will save. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one. So now you're literally sitting there and you're allowing yourself to go, he really is here. This isn't just voodoo. Like God's really here and he really is mighty and he really will save. God saves. Salvation is God's property. And he's shown time and time again, he gives it. And then this, he will rejoice over you with gladness. And I'll say, look, think about it. He's glad. I talk to a lot of people, and in my time, more than a couple handfuls will say this about their home life or whoever they lived with. I think my parents loved me. And then as you get going, they go, but I don't think they liked me. Listen to me. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. In Christ, he rejoices over us with gladness. And then this term, he will quiet you by his love. Think about the relaxing into the arms of somebody. My dad's uh, here right now and... <clears throat> I think about this all the time, especially when I get to this verse. When I was a kid, my dad would just say to me, I'd be playing, he'd be watching TV and he'd go, come here. He'd be laying on the couch and he'd say, lay right here with me. 
And then he'd say, put your legs in between my legs. And he'd wrap his legs around my legs and his arms around my, my body. I will never forget that for this reason. The security that brought was crazy. Now hear me. There are tons of people in this room that never had anything like that. God's realer than my dad is to me. And he will quiet you with his love. I remember my aunt, whose husband was a crack addict, saying he had taken and sold all kinds of stuff to buy drugs. And she fell, she said, at the Christmas tree because he'd taken the Christmas gifts and sold them to buy crack. She said, I fell down and I weeped so hard. And she's like, I swear to everything that's true, God wrapped his arms and legs around me and quieted me with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Not just gladness, not just quiet you with his love. He now begins to sing and he's exulting over you and I. He really, really, really loves, likes everything that's a word. And I don't care if you're a man or you're a female, we want this. So when Paul goes on in Ephesians, he says this. He speaks about being chosen, even as he has chose us in him before the foundations of the world. This is not chosen like I go to the meat market, USDA prime beef, that's the one I choose, right? You're not USDA prime beef. We're beat up, we're battered, we're bruised. Before the foundations of all of it, he set his affection and love on us. And here's the reality. You want to be chosen. Kids at the park, when they're picking teams, want to be chosen. You want to be chosen at work for acknowledgement of doing good things. Women dress at the gym in such a way that they would be recognized. It's part of human nature that we distort. But being wanted, God says, I want you. And I chose you in Christ. And then here's the last thing, which will lead us to the rest of this series. There's a reason he chose us. We gain all the privileges of being chosen, but there's a purpose that we would be holy and blameless before him, which if you think for a minute that means you're perfect on your own, you don't get the gospel. It's about being a mess and being made holy and blameless in him and then him going, I'm gonna round you out and make you whole to present you to the world to go, Jesus is king. He's a king who's strong. He's a king who loves He's a king who's saying, come to me. He's a king who wants you. That's what our lives are meant to display, what's supposed to come out of our mouths. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in him has blessed us with it all in the heavenly places. Hey, if you're here and you want to pray, God talks. He really, really does. Don't just walk away. I'd love to pray with you. There'll be some other people up here to pray. Um, but let's pray as we leave. Father, breathe your spirit upon us. Um, God, the hearts that are hard, don't let them remain hard. Soften them. God, let them hear your words that to come to you when they're weary and heavy laden and that you're the one who gives rest. God, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.